I feel like my songwriting feels more almost like a journalist. One by one we fall in love. Hi, and welcome back to Music at Three Pines, the podcast. My name is Brad Rayley, and today I am sitting down with Rachel Kilgore, singer-songwriter from Duluth, Minnesota. We met Rachel in Montreal and had her scheduled for a house concert right as the pandemic hit. Instead, we did a virtual concert for about 20 of our fans. Rachel is an accomplished songwriter and has competed in Telluride's Troubadour Contest and won Kerrville's New Folk Contest in 2017. She has also been featured at the Lincoln Center as well as the Kennedy Center. She released her EP Game Changer in 2019 and was recently awarded the Minnesota Arts Grant for her songwriting project on the life and recent death of her father. Our conversation covered life in the pandemic, the Black Lives Matter movement, and her approach to songwriting and the creative process. While this is not a politically themed podcast, I am reminded that folk music has always been political. And as I often say to our house show guests, we need our poets and truth tellers more now than ever. And now, Rachel Kilgore. So I really am curious, how are you doing personally with, uh, you know, all of this? With everything? Um, okay, if I'm being completely honest, I am, uh, on one hand, I am struggling with some intense depression. Mm-hmm. And um, on a worldwide scale, this is an intense time. I'm feeling... Uh, I'm feeling some responsibility and um, and and empathy toward uh, both for people who are being majorly affected by this virus, whether that be in a health way or in someone that they love way or in a financial way. I know a lot of people are really struggling right now, and. Um, and I think this moment is really calling on white folks to to recognize that we've been ignoring things for a long time. So there's this like heavy weight of like hundreds of years of yeah. neglect on yeah. on my part and on the part of of the people that I come from. Um, and and I think I'm just like I'm trying to be really to just like let that be there and be really present with it and feel uncomfortable and uh, do a lot of work to catch myself up to speed. And then lastly, I would say there's, I'm feeling kind of, I'm feeling hopeful like I did last time. (laughs) There's a pandemic. Like I think sometimes when, am I allowed to swear on this podcast? (laughs) Yes, absolutely. I think sometimes when shit gets bad, um, you know, it has, there's, there's a lot of opportunity there. I feel like there's, especially when it comes to racial, uh, racial justice at this moment, I feel like there's a lot of momentum. Um, and there's been a lot of planning that went into it. I'm here in Minnesota, um, having lived in Minneapolis before having a lot of friends down there and knowing that there's just like a lot of forward movement. This isn't, it's not going away. Like, like every other black person that was killed that we just like felt bad about for, you know, three to four days and then moved on with our lives. It's not going away and people are staying in the streets. And beyond that, there are like so many people that have been carefully planning. Like, what do we do when we have the opportunity? um, What is the plan that we're going to propose to fix this? And I feel like some of those plans are actually being implemented and Mm. people are really being held accountable. And I, and I feel, I, I feel a little hopeful. 
about that. Okay, that's the long answer. I like that. I like the hope. I was thinking too, as you were describing this about uh, for those of us as as white people who have had the privilege and the ability to move past these things. Um, you know, as you noted, this isn't the first time we've observed uh, this kind of injustice. I'm a historian, and I've you know I've, I've read a lot about lynching and and all of that, and yet. Even with that, there have been so many times when I've just sort of, it's not willful, but it's just sort of like I'm on to the next thing. But, you know, the, the, the pandemic is doing to a certain degree some of the same stuff. It's pulling back the, the facade and showing us things. And some of those are actually racial. You know, I mean, we're seeing that with the pandemic affecting people of color more than it is people, uh, white people. Um, seeing the vast inequality in our, in our society that we knew was there. I know you. I know you're very aware of that, um, and yet there has been an ability, at least for me, to just sort of, oh, I'll just go to the store and get my stuff, and yes, I'll write. I'll, I'll be mad about this, and then I'm on to something else. Right. Yeah, yeah. I think when when an injustice doesn't affect you personally, right? Um, it's where was I going with this? I had a good point. <laughs> I'm sorry. It doesn't. That's okay. When it doesn't affect you personally, I think. Um, I think that often we're we're waiting for for the moment when um, when it feels like our voice is going to matter. Like when I try and um, you know investigate my own relationship to this, having been raised in a family that was like quote unquote liberal. You know, we were progressives. We I we right. went to I went to protests my whole childhood. Like we like I I was you know not ignorant of things in my mind, but there was a lot we didn't talk about. We, we really never brought up race. I definitely was raised in an era of like, of colorblindness. And I've had to figure that out as an adult. But right. I think also it can feel, um, when you look at an injustice from the outside and it's not affecting your day to day, it can feel so insurmountable that I think people are like, we're, we're waiting for that moment where there's enough momentum that it feels like, oh, if I do the work now, if I write my senator now, if I do these things, it's actually, and for some reason, for one reason or another, this time when we watched a black man die due to police brutality, we decided that that was enough. What? Is your approach to, if you don't mind me asking, self-care? Because uh, it seems like that is so paramount for all of us right now. Well, um, number one, I just went to the pharmacy and picked up my antidepressant meds, <laughs> um, which uh, I actually was off for a, a few years. And I just really felt in this moment like I can't, yeah. can't do this by myself. Um, so highly recommend if you are the kind of person that struggles with chemical imbalance in your brain, do not feel ashamed to get a little help from the drugs, the ones that were prescribed to you. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so that's something, uh, to be honest, when I, when I do struggle with depression, it takes me a while to get, Mm. to get there to the place where I like can take action because it usually like hits really hard at my like motivational centers. Yeah. And, and yeah, unless, unless I'm being held accountable to someone else, I have a hard time um, figuring that out. So yay for me today. I went and got yes. that done. Um, <laughs> yes. Uh, what else am I doing? Um, I've been trying, I live here in Duluth, Minnesota and um, so far the virus hasn't been, it hasn't exploded up here. Uh, 
population wise, much smaller than Boston where I was living before this. And we have a lot of like open green space. So right. uh, I have been, my partner and I have both been trying to get outside, um, yes. get into the woods. We've been playing tennis, which I'm very bad at. Getting some physical exercise and being outdoors has been really important. Yes. Um, I wish I was doing a better job of checking in with people. I think at the start of this, um, like sheltering in place, I had a lot of aspirations for how I was going to handle that, including like a lot of like, uh, like we did with you, a lot of like community-based uh, co- like mm-hmm. uh, virtual concerts. Um, and I was calling all of my friends. I was checking in with a lot of people. I was having Zoom calls with my family and teaching my mom how to use Zoom so we could all be in touch. Um, and I feel like, uh, you know, at the start of this, we all felt like it was going to be um, kind of like it, it was an urgent need and it was going to last for a certain amount of time. Right. And not realizing that by flattening the curve, which was the goal, it really stretched it out yep. a lot. And yep. Uh, yep. I, I really I, lo- I lost a lot of that oomph that I had at the beginning to like, I'm going to I know how to handle grief and trauma and. I'm going to do all of these things to take care of myself. And I just, it's just kind of petered out eventually to the point where I was like, Oh, help as a person, as an artist who is expected to kind of use myself as the product, um, as an entrepreneur, I've, I, I always, uh, struggle with that aspect of my career, Mm -hmm. but especially in times when there's like global unrest and people are in danger and, you know, Mm -hmm. I just feel like, well, forget about me. Mm -hmm. Um, I know that my work might be helpful to certain people, but it's really hard for me to, to get up and be like, hey, come to my concert. How about, uh, I'll, I'll get back to writing here in a minute, but um, just as creative, uh, is songwriting really your primary artistic uh, output? Do you do other forms or? No, songwriting is really it. And sometimes uh, this might sound like self-deprecation, but I don't think it is. Uh, I don't. I don't really feel like, an artist. I mean, I live like an artist life in a lot of ways, but um, I, I feel like my songwriting feels more almost like a journalist than um, than anything else. Like a journalist in my own life, that I'm I'm noticing patterns and um, and just like expressing my experience to people, which. Um, like I don't ever feel like I'm inventing anything new. I'm like oh, specifically I'm choosing to make pretty simple, like musically simple pieces that kind of examine my own life. And um and when I think of like an artist, I think of people who like just come up with like insane things that you've never even dreamt about. Um that I don't know. My my partner, for instance, is is um we our brains work so differently and she's mm. also a musician but whenever we play together i'm very just my life like it's it's structured i have a i have a plan i want i know what, exactly when i what i what i want to say and how i want to say it and i'm focused on the narrative and she's just like you have to let yourself dream and like she's like hearing weird sounds that i've never imagined and and harmony structures that i've never even thought about um so i my songwriting is more about noticing and then also about expression as a, as a person that most of my life and to this day, um, I really struggled with knowing how to adequately express myself in social situations mm-hmm. and songwriting came in. As a, I was just compensating for that mostly. <laughs> Interesting. How long have you been writing songs? 
Um, uh, I guess I started in college, seriously. I mean, I think I probably tried, a, I, I had a couple like really lame, I'm a 16 year old songs that I don't even remember. Um, but I think, yeah, I was in, in the middle of, of college when I first started really, really trying to write and performing it in front of people. And I actually ended up dropping out of college mm. <laughs> once I did that. Cause I felt, I felt so sure that that was what I was supposed to do with my life that I just was done with all other opportunities. <laughs> what it's been a just... really great financial decision on my part. Right, right. There are tens of dollars to be made in folk music, right? <laughs> Is that, um, yeah, exactly. What were you studying? I was actually studying music education. Oh, okay. Okay. So not so far off. And also not like I was going to be making piles of money as a music educator. Right. Right. <laughs> so do you have, uh, you clearly have some formal training though. You are very self-deprecating about your musical ability, I will say, because I, I'm, I'm very struck by your writing and your musical composition. Um, and so I'm kind of curious, because you play, you play the violin as well, or fiddle, depending on which genre you're in. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> um, yeah, violin was my first instrument. Okay. I, was, uh, I started in, in elementary school. I was really lucky to uh, be born in the era of magnet schools, um, which I think was a city response to trying to desegregate things, actually. Mm. I'm not really sure of that history, but um, in my case, my family, we didn't have enough money for uh, music lessons, and I had been begging since I saw a violin when I was like in preschool. I was pretty sure that that was my destiny, and <laughs> I begged for violin lessons every day. And then uh, this uh, school was actually built just like two houses away from me wow. when I was in the third grade. And I immediately started the, the magnet school was like, you know, regular schooling, but then everybody had like standard music class. Everybody had to take piano. Everybody had to choose an instrument. You could, everybody had to be in choir. So I had like within a week I would have, yeah, these regular basic music classes and piano classes and choir and violin lessons and orchestra and then a small ensemble choir. And it, was, right. it was a lot for a kid, especially for a kid that I, I wouldn't have had that opportunity if they didn't give it to me for free. So Right. So in, uh, anybody in your family musical or were you, were you just drawn to it? or? Um, uh, I think I was drawn to it. But yes, I, I do come from some musical people. I would say my parents... Um, I think my mom tried to have music around us, but I, neither of my parents were really innately musical or like uh, singing a lot or anything. But my but I came my extended families were my grandparents. I think both played music. My, one of my grandfathers had a family band with his sisters and brothers. So, um, but my mom said since I was young, I used to I would just answer her in song. Oh, how cute! A lot. When did you? Cause you really have a great voice. And, and one of the things I've been struck by, I'm musical. I mean, I play and I can sing, I can carry a tune, I can do all those things. Um, and so in my family, people would say, Oh yeah, you're great, Brad. And I'd be like, I'd go listen to people and I'm like, okay, I can do some things. Don't get me wrong, but I don't have anything approaching a great voice. I don't have a voice that people really want to hear. Um, you do, huh? I said, I don't believe it. <laughs> oh, well, that's nice of you to say. So when when did you kind of discover the power of your voice? Because it, it does remind me of, I, I'm I'm struck by, I had a, I've taken fiddle, actually. I'm really terrible at it. But my fiddle teacher was talking about how that, the violin fiddle, uh, 
is very similar to the human voice. I mean, that there's so much kind of flexibility there and everything else. And so I'm struck by that when you said that's your first instrument. That doesn't surprise me, oddly, in the way that you, you sing. So when did you really discover that that voice um, really being powerful and... Um, I, I suppose there were a couple times. Uh, hmm. Um, well, first off, a great voice is subjective. People True. like different things in voices. So I won't say that everyone will like my voice. Uh, I, I think, like I said, when I was, was, I was in two years into my degree, my bachelor's degree, uh, at UMD when, um, I actually had had this weird experience of um, working at a camp, a summer camp that one of my friends was working at, and I ended up being hired by the camp director to help actually take care of her children. And it turned out that that camp director was married to Katie Curtis. Oh. And so I ended, and I knew Katie's work. Um, so when it all unfolded that that was, you know, she like divulged this information before I showed up at camp, obviously. And then I was like, what? This is so cool. That was a, a, a really... Um, powerful moment for me I think watching Katie write she you know wrote songs in front of me or with me sometimes and we were playing I brought my fiddle and we played music together and um and just like watching that process made me understand it better or it felt more reachable I guess I just having been introduced to it as soon as I came home from summer camp I started writing um and felt like oh I can I know how to do this it's a thing that I can achieve and um and so when I I actually performed one of my original songs for the very first time while I was in school at a, um, it was a fundraiser event for people who are going down to the protest against the school of America's. I don't know if you're familiar. Um, it, mm-hmm. it is in Georgia and it's a military, uh, training school where we've, uh, the U S is to blame for a lot of the human rights atrocities in Latin America, and yeah. they can be traced back to that school. Um, so as a young person, I was going to these protests all the time and, um, I was in college, we had this fundraiser concert and, um, a friend of mine was planning it and she said, why don't you sing one of your own songs? And so I was very scared and I got up and I did it and I got a standing ovation and we'll say, part of the reason that that happened is because I know everyone in Duluth and they had known me since I was a baby and they were proud of me. However, also because I wrote a pretty good song <laughs> and like, yeah. and I, yeah. um, I felt, um, you know, I'm not going to sing it for you now. Of course I've gotten to be a better songwriter, but <laughs> I think just having that affirmation for not only my musical ability, but my, uh, my brain, I guess, mm-hmm. I think I had spent mm-hmm. a lot of, most of my childhood trying to hide and not wanting anyone to notice me and not wanting to be put on the spot and not having to answer questions or have opinions. And suddenly I could like, I had this way of formulating them behind the scenes and then presenting them to the world and the world got it, you know, mm-hmm. um, it was life changing. I just, in that moment, I just knew exactly that I was like, okay, I'm dropping out. Bye. Uh, and so that, um, the harnessing my own vocal abilities had a lot to do with being able to express um, what was behind my voice, the words that I was saying and feeling seen and understood and that I had something to say allowed my voice to come out. Um, That said, that was my, you know, young version of my voice and it continued evolving like it does as you grow up. Um, My vocal vocal cords um, continued to, grow and change. Um, 
but I also would say that about five years ago, I went through a really difficult divorce and kind of came out of it like righteously reclaiming myself. Mm -hmm. And I would say that that had a really big effect on my voice as well. I can sense when I listen to old recordings, my voice lowered quite a lot, a, a mm -hmm. lot. And I just like have, I have more control over it and I can like kind of dig into like mm -hmm. those darker parts of my voice more than I could when I was younger. So anyways, that's a long answer to say, yeah, two important places. And it had a lot to do with, um, my psyche more than it had to do with my vocal training. Yeah, that's I that's I'm I'm sorry about the divorce. I'm but I'm I'm I was thinking how beautiful it is that your community turned out to support you for your singing and I think about how important that is um and and how many artists have probably been and you are an artist um have been turned away or felt you know they've had their dream killed because they didn't get support around them sometimes and so i'm glad for that um, um what what did you say you said you came out of it feeling righteous power righteous i said i was righteously reclaiming myself I yeah think. <laughs> yeah i like um, that yeah I, I was married really quite young. Um, at the time, I felt like it was a perfectly appropriate time to get married, of course. Right. Uh, but um, got married quite young to someone who was about seven years older than me, which, you know, when, when it's like your grandparents and they're seven years apart, it doesn't feel like a big deal. But at that moment, I think yeah. in my life, I hadn't lived on my own. Uh, and I hadn't really figured out what I wanted out of a career. I had just very recently discovered this ability to write and sing songs and had like this new fledgling confidence about that. Right. Um, and then I, uh, very, very quickly, too quickly, uh, married and became part of a, a family unit and was, uh, step parenting a young child, um, which is such a really important and formative time for me, but also mm. when I look back, I feel protective of my young self. And, mm. Uh, mm. you know, a lot of people did. Actually, a lot of people who loved me felt like, no, 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 don't do this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, you know, we do what we do and we, and we learn along the way. So, yes. Um, but yeah, well. there was a lot of like loss of self that I had mm. to. I had to, I came out of it feeling like, ah, what am I if I'm not just like part of this family unit? Right. If I'm not a step parent, if I'm not a wife, um, am I anything? Who am I? And right. the thing that I kept coming back to was that music had always been mine and um, that the yeah. songwriting had always been mine. And so I put all of my energy into that. Let me ask you something. I haven't asked anybody this yet. How do you listen to music? Yeah, I mean, I mean, just how do you approach like if if one of your friends has a new album out, um, and you get that album in your hand or you download it? Um, I, I, I guess um, I'm asking. Okay. Yeah, okay, go ahead. I'm glad you picked me for this question. The honest answer is, I almost exclusively listen to music live. Oh. I never put a CD in. Uh, if if a friend has given me a CD, I will make a point of listening. And it usually happens in the car because it's the only place I have a functioning CD player right now. Um, or I'll, I'll, I'll listen on Spotify if, I, if I the link is easily available. I try and make a point of it. I know that personally, like making, making an album, you put so much work into it and you want to, you know, it's this thing that's supposed to represent you. But I just feel like, 
I way prefer live versions mm. and the, like there's something really magical that happens when people perform their own stuff. So, um, now when you listen to somebody live, cause I, that, that's, that's part of this question too. And I'm, and I'm kind of curious because you are clearly from the way you've been describing your own work. Um, you see yourself first lyrically and what the, the message is of the song first. And then there's a melody that is, is, created around that or through that or whatever but that's the first so when you're listening to somebody live is that what you're listening for i mean is that what you're drawn to first i'm not saying that obviously it's it's we we hear both but um i would say in general yes my ear is trained to that but i think an artist actually has a lot of power over what is listened to first because um like I, sometimes I listen to an artist and you can't help but notice like the musical complexity of the situation. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes I can't even get to the lyrics cause my mm-hmm. brain's trying to figure out what the hell's happening musically. Mm-hmm. And it's so impressive, not even just technically impressive. It's just like, what we like, I'm, uh, it's its own language, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I, it's true that with my own work, I'm, I'm again, not discounting it. Um, but I, I keep things simple on purpose mm. and the music aspect is really just like, it feels like I'm just crying. Basically mm. I'm singing mm. things that are really hard for me to say out loud and I'm crying mm. them into song and it's, and it's, um, and it comes out in this, in this kind of expected way that obviously comes from the, the, the culture that I've been raised in and the music I've listened to in my life. Um, but it, it's in, intentionally pretty simplistic so that the, the primary focus is the lyrics. I know people who don't think twice about lyrics. It's a complete afterthought and, and their music is insane. I know people who write amazing lyrics with incredible music mm-hmm. and that works too. So I think it really depends on what the person has to offer, where my, where my ear goes to when I first hear it. Okay. Can I ask you about your songwriting um, uh, for a minute? I mean, one of the things I'm very interested in is uh, I've written a couple of songs like, just to sort of know how it works kind of thing. Um, so when you say simple, I know simple because every one of my songs has been a waltz for one thing. It's uh, no matter no matter how hard I've tried to do something different. Um, and so I'm very curious about the process for writing. And for you, I can already tell you start lyrically. Yeah, I think probably with every of my okay. every one of my songs probably begin okay. with some kind of lyrical idea. Yeah, I guess it's more, it's, it starts with concept. Usually I'll like, something will be repe- repeatedly on my mind. Um, and that will, you know, that will be in my attention. And I usually, lyric and music will come at the same time. Like I said, it, it feels like I'm just, um, I don't know, it's just this emotional expression of whatever the gotcha. lyrics that happen to come to me. Um, I haven't written for a little while, so it's funny to think about this because I have been feeling kind of, uh, I don't know, stuck isn't a good word that mm-hmm. feels final or something. But um, yeah, when I when I do start writing a song, often I'll be walking when it happens and, and I'll repeat phrases over and over again and they'll come um, as like a whole thing together, like an either an image thinking of um, like it's a puzzle to solve how to explain how to put my feelings into somebody else with the right words, the right combination of words and imagery. And 
and that's not even true. How to put my, it's not that I want to give, I'm not even writing songs for other people. It's more that how do I write it so that I can take it outside of myself and it can live over here so that I can, you know, sleep. So, so you have that idea, which I love that this is, this is that, so there, there's something that's clearly in your subconscious moving to the conscious la- la- layer and something that is, is bothering you or grabbed you in some way. And so that it comes into a, an image and then see, so do you sit down and start to write lyrics out first and then do you start to pick up the guitar first and then start to, you know, kind of noodle? Uh. Well, like I said, I actually, I do a lot of writing while I'm walking. And when I say writing, I don't write it down very often. Sometimes I won't write things down until, it's like there are two different phases of songwriting. The first being just this kind of free um, exploration, I guess one might say, where either I'm going for a walk or I'm cooking or whatever it is that I'm doing and I'm singing something over and over again. And that kind of helps form the 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 picture and the concept um and maybe maybe there'll be a hook in there or maybe there'll be um just like a specific image that i'm going to build the song mm-hmm. around and then uh, uh sometimes i'll write a whole song without ever writing it down some usually i will get stuck midway through and then i'll have to take a notebook out and i'll write the things that i have so far like over and over again it's stupid i have no. notebooks that are just like Maybe if I restart and I write the whole thing all over again in nice handwriting, then the answer will come. And it feels like I'm like, you know, putting puzzle pieces in. Um, but yeah, there's often just like piles of scrap paper where I'm just like over and over again writing what mm-hmm. I already have, nothing new, or just like lists of words that, uh, you know, like synonyms, uh, rhyming lists, just mm-hmm. like, yeah, that mm-hmm. happens. It gets real messy. I I think art is messy. Uh, I think what you're describing is is I mean it it may be different than the way every other I mean some other artists do it, but every one I've talked to has given me some variation of that. Some variation um, of mess. Yeah, I mean I think I think that's that's what that create is that creative process. It's it's not easy, or else everybody would do it. I mean I've tried. I've I've really tried, and I've you know. Yeah, so that I mean, that, I I love that idea. By the way, for some reason, it really strikes me of this idea of doing something else, walking, cooking, um, and I I can just say, and again, I'll edit this out because this isn't about me. But when I was writing my dissertation, I mowed the lawn a lot, and it was often when I was out there that I was mulling through parts of chapters. I was trying to fit pieces together, and it's like when your brain is focused on one thing, sometimes it clears up part in your brain that you can do other things with. So I love that you. Um, nothing, nothing about what you described sounds stupid to me at all. It sounds amazing. And, and the end product is amazing as well. I've been so impressed with your work. And, um, so I, I, can I ask you? I do think, wait, I have wanted to answer a little bit more about the, uh, this relates to what kind of listen, uh, listening I do of other music. Sure. I think that as a culture, music has kind of infiltrated all of our quiet space. And Mm. that's part of the reason I don't really enjoy listening to recorded music. Like it's on, you know, it's on the car and it's on the elevator. It's all at the mall and it's on, you know, in the kitchen, what you just like, you could potentially just press play on Spotify forever for the rest of your life. It could be continually playing something new and you're kind of like half listening, quarter listening, honestly. Um, And so I think for me, um, like the 
the hardest thing for me is that I will try and fill up my space with like podcasts or something. Mm -hmm. So in order, in order to get to that place, I really need to like go for a walk or do something where I'm, where I'm not distracting myself with somebody else's thoughts. It just has to be like completely whatever's going on in my mind, um, uninterrupted. That makes a lot of sense too. I, I ironically, as we're doing a podcast, but <laughs> <laughs> uh, can you tell me more about this uh, grant that you um, uh, got this year? Yeah. Um, boy, what a time for it, eh? Uh, I live in Minnesota. Like I said, Minnesota is, I think, one of the best states as far as arts funding goes in the United States. Um, So uh, it's actually a pretty competitive grant. It's a Minnesota State Arts Board grant. They have individual grants for artists. I got $10,000 to work on um, a project, uh, the songwriting project about my dad. Um, That was the proposal. I had written a couple of them had written a couple of them before I made the proposal and I'm hoping to make an entire dad album Hmm. and then tour that work kind of thematically. I like the idea Hmm. of making the performance feel like, um, like a theater piece, I guess. Not that I'm going to be like wearing different costumes and dramatizing things, but that it's just very, it's very focused and it's not, Hmm. I think artists again are, are encouraged to really, uh, prop themselves up as um, this, like uh, some kind of celebrity, or like you know, we're the product, and so we're supposed to like make ourselves look all sparkly and exciting. Um, we're supposed to get name visibility, visibility, and I like the idea of letting the work kind of speak for itself. So, um, yeah, the plan is to complete this run of songs, put it together in an album, and then go on tour uh, with with the work describing it that way so when i come into town it's not just like rachel kilgore is coming here and everyone's like who uh instead it's like a musician is coming here and she's written these you know kind of intense and loving songs about her dad and you may have a dad and maybe you want to feel these things with her you know obviously it'll be well it'll it'll be better written than that but um but I like that idea of it just being about the actual artwork instead of about like my prowess or my, you know, the recognition I've gotten so far and how I'm like snowballing that. Um, anyway, it's been it really wonderful to have the support um, of the grant and actually right. kind of impeccable timing that I got that right at the start of losing my, all of my jobs. <laughs> do you want to do a song? Oh, sure. Uh, one of yours uh, in America. It was timely in 2019, but it's obviously even more timely now. So, you want to like, know a little secret? It's not a yeah. secret because you can find it online. Uh, I actually wrote in America in 2013, 12, wow. maybe 12. So, it's even older than that. I re recorded it for Game Changer. Oh, okay. But I think that's horrifying. <laughs> I wrote it at a time. I was like, this all, you know, all these things are wrong with the world. And now I'm like, oh, wow. It got way worse. It got and this worse. song is still really relevant. All right. Here we go. One by one we fall in line To reach for the precious prize To the promised land Singing yes we can Stomachs bigger than our 
I love that song. Thanks. It's very much in the tradition of Woody and Pete Seeger, and it really is. I mean, it, that is that is a uh, it's a great song. And and by the way, if I can say, you say that you do simple songs. I don't think they're simple. Uh, I've actually tried to pick up a couple of your songs just to kind of strum <laughs> along, and I um, I'm reasonably adept, and I. Um, so I think I think you have more complexity to your music. I know you do lyrically, but I also know you do musically than perhaps you're giving yourself credit for. So Thanks. I'll just say Definitely that. Definitely not waltzes. Um, okay, a couple more questions. Thank you very much for doing this, by the way. This has uh, been a blast. You are a delight to talk to. Well, I have three questions. I'm, I'm stealing from Brene Brown's uh, The Way She Ends Her Show which is, okay, um, she's so much it. better. Anyway, so, all right. So these are musically, obviously. Uh, so the, the first question is, um, who's the songwriter you listen to that makes your jaw drop? Um, it's not because I can't think of anyone. I'm just trying to decide between some. No, no, believe me, I understand. Um, oh boy, this is a hard one, Brian. <laughs> um, I mean, I'm thinking back to when I was young. Uh, I was very affected by the work of uh, Farron. Are you familiar with Farron? Um, she, I think, is actually the queen of that. Um, I, I, I see her her work or the way she does her work reflected in my own. The the way that, um, you know, she's very lyrically focused and confessional. Mm. Um, and a lot of her songs, like some of the, the most moving songs of hers, I think can be really repetitive. If you listen without mm. any lyrics, it's like, wow, this is stretching on for a really long time. Um, and it's pretty like, you know, she's finger picking and it's almost, it's the same chords over and over again. And the melody is pretty, pretty simple. Um, but it just like sinks into you and you, and you just feel like you're like living her life with her. Mm. Um, she's someone I haven't listened to um, anything new of hers for a long while, but I think that's someone who consistently as a young person, I would just like weep listening to some of her songs. Um, uh, Anna Tipple is someone that definitely oh, sticks out as, as someone who's amazing. out there writing songs right now. Um, she's amazing. Yeah. Okay. Um, second question. Does Brene Brown ask about your favorite songwriter? No, no, but she has like 10, she has these, this rapid fire of 10 questions at the end or something like that. Okay. And, okay, um, okay. Is there a musical um, genre or uh, outside of folk Americana that you listen to sometimes that you have found inspiration from? I mean, the answer is simply probably no, but I think if I was going to pick up anything, actually, I think hip hop probably, mm. I don't, mm. I don't regularly listen to it, but when I do listen to it, I, the, the lyrical like acrobats mm -hmm. that are happening, you know, depending on who the artist is, uh, I can find that pretty exhilarating and kind of inspirational. Okay. Okay. Particularly hip hop, like uh, um, with a message, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, given the fact that you're not a heavy listening, uh, listen to music, this last question, I've changed this question. It used to be guilty pleasure. Do you have a guilty pleasure music? But it's morphed into a question of asking if, if who you listen to even occasionally that might surprise your fans. And I'm guessing you kind of answered that a little bit with hip hop. Yeah, uh, it doesn't, I don't often, again, I don't really seek out recorded music, so that's tricky, but if it happened upon my ears, I might be pleased if it was hip hop and it was like someone, uh, you know, I, I get excited about 
turns of phrases and, and, and ways of, um, you know, getting a message across, especially, especially I think there are a lot of hip hop artists, um, addressing mm. social issues, yeah. um, through their work. And I'm really impressed by that. Yeah. Do you listen to any country music? No, I don't listen. Yeah, no, yeah. no, but like if, okay. So if I'm driving through the country, sometimes for fun, I will turn off my podcast situation and I'll just see what the radio has to offer. There's a real fun game you can play where you try and guess if it's, um, if it's like the top, uh, billboard hits or if it's like a Christian channel. Cause sometimes you can't tell or <laughs> if it's a country station. So I like to switch around, just see, see how long it takes me to guess what's coming up next. Well, um, I'm going to let you go. This has been just a delight. I look forward to hearing more about your, your project and, and as you're working on this, and I really look forward to getting past this stupid virus so we can uh, get together and, you know, yeah, get you too. out here to Colorado to you know play some shows. Um, but let's make it happen. Yeah, let's make it happen. You know, okay, when it's time. Let's not put anybody in danger. Exactly. 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 Agreed. Thank you so much for having me today, but also for you guys were one of the first people to host a, um, a virtual concert huh. for me. So thanks for doing that. That absolutely definitely made me feel like oh this is possible. <laughs> so. Thank you for listening to our conversation. You can find Rachel's webpage, merch page, and tip jar information in the details portion of the podcast. I hope you will follow and support her and other musicians during and hopefully after this pandemic. Artists are struggling during this time, so if you can, please support them financially. See you next time on Music at Three Pines, the podcast. <laughs>